Talk Radio. went against the narrative. And whatever they're saying in the West is uh, nonsense, quite frankly. Because what is happening right now is what everybody realized was going to happen six months ago, five and a half months ago, when this uh, special military operation started, which is that Russia is winning. It's definitively winning. It is uh, the, the victory on the part of the Russians is overwhelming. And the people who are bleeding that the Russians are losing, that it's a static war and whatnot, they simply don't want to see reality. And that's why I went to prison. I've taken a beating in my time, so sure, it hurt like hell, but it was manageable. But then, at one point, two thugs held my head and used a toothpick to scratch the whites of my left eye, while asking me if I could still read if I had just one. I got a cracked rib in my first cell, but it wasn't too bad. The worst stretch was in my fourth cell. From 1pm on June the 21st until 7pm the next day, 30 hours, I was beaten and sleep deprived. My arms twisted the wrong way around at the shoulders and generally beaten pretty bad. And that's why if I'm arrested again, I will die in prison. Chilean-American journalist Gonzalo Lira has reportedly died in prison in Ukraine at the age of 55. U.S. journalists cited Lira's father, who believes his son was tortured to death over his criticism of Vladimir Zelensky. I was very upset to learn that Gonzalo Lira was tortured to death as a political prisoner by the government of Ukraine. I was able to interview him a few times, so were some of our other crew. He seemed like a interesting journalists on the ground giving a different perspective than what we were all being force-fed at the time. And of course, we saw the footage of men with machine guns taking him out of his apartment, disappearing him uh, now over a year ago. And we learned that he died in their custody. They would not give him treatment for double pneumonia and just basically tortured him to death. Imagine if the Russians had a journalist and a U.S. citizen and we're holding him and they died in custody. It would be international scandal. There'd be major sanctions. But the last year plus, his family and others have gone to the State Department and they've just said, we're not doing anything. So they won't stand up for US citizens, even as we send over $100 billion to Ukraine. And now Zelensky tells us he wants US troops there on the ground, which is World War III. This is outrageous and it's disgusting. And while our veterans sleep on the street and while our border totally collapses, we pay billions of dollars to secure much of the Ukrainian border. We know our future is bound to yours. Let me repeat that again. We know our future is bound to yours. The goal of the present war against Ukraine is to tore our lands, our people, our lives, our resources into a weapon against you. 1.85 billion dollar package of security assistance that includes both direct transfers of equipment that Ukraine needs as well as contracts to supply ammunition Ukraine will need in the months ahead for its artillery, its tanks, and its rocket launchers. Mr. President, would you call the situation on the southern border a crisis? No, but I would say with a react. I've been pushing them, my Republican colleagues, 
Fox News, AP, they're all reporting it. Sweden's defense minister warning to brace for war with Russia. Sends public into panic. Lines grabbing food, gasoline, emergency supplies. NATO and Sweden have been saying this for weeks. Russia has laughed and said that's insane. We have no intention of invading or attacking Sweden. Obviously, Sweden borders areas close to Russia. They've said that because of NATO's aggressive stance, they may have to beef up troops, but that they know attacking Sweden would lead to nuclear war. They have no intention of doing that, but it doesn't matter. It's all over the news that the Russians, with no evidence, are going to attack Sweden. This is a major escalation. Germany ponders banning its second most popular political party. Banning of parties and candidates happening everywhere in the West now, a classic sign of incredible totalitarianism. I won't let myself be insulted as being a Nazi because I'm sympathising with the AFD. For me, the AFD is the only party representing our constitutional rights and freedom of opinion. The UN has put out new reports saying uncharted territory, doom and total destruction. We don't hand total... It's Monday, January 15th, in the year of 2024. And you're listening to The American Journal with your host, Harrison Smith. Watch it live right now at band.video. I think it's time to blow this thing. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. This is The American Journal. We are coming to you live on this Martin Luther King Day. Are we even supposed to be working today? What's going on here? Well, there's a lot going on. Obviously, it's uh, the first day of voting in the Republican primary. Lots of contention over the weekend between Vivek and Trump. We'll talk a little bit about that. Obviously, I don't think we're going to be seeing any results by the time this show's over. We'll talk a little bit about uh, what is going on in Iowa during the caucuses. It's also the first day of Davos as the World Economic Forum meets in the Swiss mountain town to game plan, try to figure out amongst themselves, try to establish a strategy to force you to eat bugs and give up all your electric gadgets. Or if you have to have an electric gadget, it should at the very least spy on you continuously. So yes, we are going to probably get some breaking reports from Davos a little bit later today and talk about sort of uh, what they're up to. So a lot going on on this uh, Monday morning. Of course, we still have the war in the Middle East spiraling and the war with Russia. All of the signals are there. Germany is telling its people it's actually activating its military reserves in anticipation of war with Russia. Sweden has warned its population that war with Russia is on the horizon. And of course, this comes as the Ukrainian war against Russia has proven to be an abject failure. And of course, in that first five minutes, we showed a little tribute to Gonzalo Lira, a.k.a. Coach Red Pill. He has been reported as dead in Ukraine. And... This story is frankly horrifying. Absolutely maddening. This is from uns.com, unz.com. There are lots of things you could say about this situation, but the first and foremost important thing to note, it is 
is that it is completely insane that the Biden administration allowed the Ukraine uh, allowed Ukraine to indefinitely detain a U.S. citizen on charges of disagreeing with the government of Ukraine. The death could have easily been prevented by one phone call from the State Department. In fact, a two sentence email would have done it. The Biden administration was aware that a U.S. citizen was being held in Ukraine and tortured, and they made the active decision to allow the Kiev government, which is totally funded and supported by the U.S., to do this. The question then is, why wouldn't the U.S. do this to people in the U.S.? This is a U.S. citizen in a country that's not only an ally, but a country that only exists because of U.S. taxpayer subsidies. It is not, by any stretch, a sovereign nation, given that it is entirely beholden to the United States for its basic existence. In any normal circumstance, the Ukraine would simply assume that a U.S. citizen journalist couldn't simply be imprisoned and tortured. That is to say, there is a 100 percent chance that the Kiev government asked the U.S. government what they should do with this guy, and the U.S. government told him to lock him up in a gulag. That means the U.S. government does not protect their citizens. Why should they? They don't protect us in the country. Why would they protect us overseas? It's sort of a stark realization. I think he's right. Why wouldn't this happen here? And there's a certain thing that happens with these people where they are so self-important. They're so deluded in their belief that everything they believe is absolutely correct and that you can't Really, like, you can't question them. Questioning them is blasphemy. They are God. See, when their dictates are God, if you disagree with them, well, you're committing heresy. You're committing blasphemy, and you deserve to die. And there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that. We've seen that during the Israeli conflict as well. You'll have a journalist, Palestinian journalist, speaking out against Israel, and then Israel will bomb him and kill him. And then you'll have normally, you know, decent people, sensible people wholesome people like celebrating it being like haha not so funny now huh and it's like the man died the man died and you're gloating over it because he he disagreed with your ideas he spoke out against you then you killed him and now you're gloating over it i mean literally i, I can't think of the guy's name right now but there's a palestinian journalist who you know insulted israel and even libs of tiktok Chayek or whatever her name is, she was like gloating over this, that this man died because he questioned the nation of Israel and their actions genociding Gaza. So this is just like a, the world that we're entering into, the idea of free speech and you know some sort of measured response to disagreement. That's all in the past. Palestinian-American journalist Shirin Abu Akleh was killed a year ago. Remember when Khashoggi was killed? Remember when uh, that journalist Khashoggi, who was a CIA cutout, remember when he was killed in Saudi Arabia or whatever? And it was like, it, like they still bring it up. It's like a years-long story. We're supposed to go to war over this or something. I haven't seen Gonzalo Lira in any mainstream media whatsoever. And so, of course, this just ties into everything that there is to know about globalism. Because the, the concept of, of being a citizen is contrary to what globalism represents. We're a citizen of the world. That means is you're a citizen of nowhere. You're not a citizen. And I've said a million times, like if I was running for president, my slogan would be make citizenship a thing again. Make citizenship mean something again. 
you know, the idea is not it's not that hard to conceive of. It's just this is what being a nation is supposed to mean. It's like an extended family. It's like because you are us, because you're with us, because you're in our group, then whatever happens to you happens to all of us. And whenever you need help, we are there to help you. And this is like a beautiful thing. This is like a wonderful advancement of human society. The whole nation comes together to support one another. I remember being in Mexico with Ben Swan before I worked here at InfoWars filming a documentary that the Mexican government would rather not have us discuss about uh, 20 or so missing students that were kidnapped by the federal government. And at one point, everywhere we went, you could see a federal agent shadowing us and, and following us. It was kind of horrifying. I mean, after all, the story we're reporting is that 20 students got on a bus, loaded, were loaded onto a bus by the government, and were never seen again. So here we are in the situation in the country under false pretenses, right? We, didn't, we couldn't tell the Mexican government, we're here to make a documentary calling you all murderers. They wouldn't have let us in. So we went there on some, you know, for claiming something else to get visas. Then we're there, and the federales are, are following us. It's sort of scary. And then you have this realization of like, but I'm an American. They can't touch me. See, I'm, I'm an American. If something happens to me, I've got the American government that's going to come down on Mexico like a ton of bricks because I'm an American. Like that's, that's what happens as an American. Even not like other countries. It's not even necessarily a nation versus nation thing. There's a, there's a device that ships can get, like boats, yachts, whatever. And it kind of it doesn't matter like where you are in the world, but certainly anywhere in between America and Hawaii. If you throw this device overboard and it gets wet, an alarm goes off, or you can activate the device somehow, an alarm goes off, and the Coast Guard is dispatched to that area. It's an emergency buoy that is just you know if you're in trouble, you just activate it, and here comes America. You're an American after all. You're an American, so if you're in trouble. You get helicopters, you get rescue boats, you get airplane flyovers, you get satellite uplinks. I mean, everything, all of the power that American can manifest is at your service because you're an American citizen. Like, that's what it means to be an American citizen. So that's going away now. That's going to be gone very soon, or it is gone already, as you can look at Gonzalo Lira. He didn't commit any crimes. He didn't hurt anybody, right? Everything he was actually doing was trying to bring truth to the lies that were hurting people. See, when he, in that video that we just saw, when he's talking about everybody knew Russia was winning from the beginning. Everybody knew Russia was winning from six months ago and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You've got a year at this point. It could have ended a year ago. I mean, it could have ended a month after it started and everybody knows that and there were peace summits and Ukraine was ready to sign the peace agreement and then the UK and America came in and pressured them not to sign it uh, Russia was willing to give back the land they'd taken. I mean, it was very literally Russia said, you can declare peace in Ukraine. We'll give you back the, the territories. You just have to remain neutral. You can't join NATO. You have to remain neutral. You can't join the EU. You have to remain neutral between Russia and the NATO West. That was all. That was what they, that was what they wanted. This is all about protecting Russian sovereignty and, defending against NATO aggression or incremental 
advancement towards Russia. So it could have ended a year ago, it could have ended two years ago. And that's all Gonzalo Lira was saying, and he was right. And if people listened to him, and if his ideas and, and knowledge was able to get out, hundreds of thousands of lives could have been saved. So again, in this country today, it's, I mean, everything is so backwards. Everything is so inverted. Everything is so satanic. I mean, it really... A beggar's belief, man. It, it really is insane at this point. There's a story, and I'll have to try to find it here in my Twitter bookmarks because uh, I didn't think I was going to talk about it today. And I don't even want to. I don't even want to bring it up until I find it because it's so sort of horrifying. But it was a crime committed against a woman in public on a, a bus, I believe, or a subway. But the person that attacked her was an eight-time felon, eight felonies on this guy's record, and he's out there walking around. You're not being aggressive to anybody. Nobody is suffering because of what you're saying, but the system is challenged by what you're saying. Uh, then you deserve death, and you'll be killed. That's what Gonzalo Lira heard, realized, learned. And it's not just coming to America. It's here. It is Certainly here, it is one of those things where it's like, here's this guy who didn't commit any violence. He didn't sell secrets. He wasn't a traitor or a spy. He was just a activist and a journalist, and he's arrested and tortured in prison. And you've got these people writing articles saying, this could happen in America. It's like, well, I bet Stuart Rhodes would be very scared to hear that. I bet Rufio would be very concerned that this could one day come to America. I bet Enrique Tario would be really interested in hearing that this could one day happen to Americans. Isn't that a, a chilling warning? It's already happening. It's already here. This is already going on. American citizens in America who have committed no crime, committed no violence, haven't even discussed committing violence, are sitting behind bars for two decades. It's almost crueler than killing them. Some of these guys are going to die in prison, no doubt. Many of them have been tortured in prison already. So I just want you to fully understand where we're headed with all of this. I, honestly, I just, I don't even, well, we'll just get into some of, uh, you know, what's, what's going on in the world. These are uh, headlines from InfoWars. By the way, you'll notice that I should have gone to break like five minutes ago. We're changing things up here. We have eliminated the majority of our commercial breaks. This is actually very good news. The number one complaint I hear on comments on streams or videos of uh, InfoWars is that too many breaks. Well, the breaks are pre-programmed by the radio stations. We're on the radio, but we're basically skipping over half of them now. We're breaking the rules on the breaks. So this is very exciting, and uh, it means that we'll have uh, longer periods where we can really flesh, uh, flesh out some of these stories and, and really dig into them. 
We take more com- more phone calls. I mean, we're basically expanding the show by 10 minutes an hour. So you're getting an extra 30 minutes of American Journal a day now because we've eliminated half the commercial breaks. So it's a little experiment. We're not sure how it's going to go. We're not sure if we can keep this up all the time. And we're also not sure if we can afford it. So if you like having a commercial-free couple of segments. So in other words, instead of having a short segment at the beginning, then a slightly longer, then another, then another. Instead of having five segments, four 10-minute segments an hour, we're going to have basically one little five-minute segment and then two 25-minute segments. So if you like this, if you like this new format, if you like having half the commercial breaks as before, uh, then I hope you go to InfoWarsStore.com because obviously the only thing that would make us go back to the old way is if people aren't seeing commercials, so they aren't buying products, so we can't afford it. So if you keep going to InfoWarsStore.com, if you go to InfoWarsStore.com and support us and keep us on the air, and especially if that increases, right, if our if our revenue increases because of this, then we will certainly continue it. But if you like having commercial-free half-hour broadcast chunks, go to InfoWarsStore.com today. Take advantage of the mega super sale. You're getting up to 60% off plus free shipping and double Patriot points. And there is no better time to make sure that you're boosting your natural systems and getting essential vitamins, minerals, and nutrients than now. In this time of need, it's especially crucial that we're giving our bodies what they need to function at optimum health. And with the brand new sales available at InfoWars Store, we're making it easier than ever for you to do so. DNA Force Plus, one of our more expensive products, honestly, but it's because it's worth it and it's... uh, just incredibly powerful, but that also means that 40% off, you're getting a massive discount. That is a huge saving on this big-ticket item, DNA Force Plus. So if you've wondered what makes DNA Force Plus so powerful, now is your time to try it and learn the power of DNA Force Plus. So that's DNA Force Plus at 40% off. Real Red Pill Plus is 40% off. DNA Force Plus plus Real Red Pill Plus is a full 50% off both those products. And also Winter Sun Plus is 40% off. And on Friday during the war room, I read a new scientific study. And again, I'm not a a doctor, so I'm not about to make medical claims. Also, don't have the details in front of me of this story. But just look up what vitamin D can do for you. I mean, this it was like it improves neuroplasticity. It improves uh, the immune system. And also it increases uh, the anti-inflammation cytokines and decreases the pro-inflammation side. So it helps with inflammation. It was uh, the whole article was about how it prevented fatigue, especially if fatigue is uh, caused by uh, certain diseases. But the fact is that we don't even know. We don't even know the power of some of these vitamins. But do your own research, figure out what you're missing from your life, and go to InfoWarsStore.com to make up for any shortfalls that you may have. And also keep us on the air in these longer commercial-free breaks that we're uh, trying out here. My goodness. So there, <laughs> there's so much to get into. This stuff is from last week when Fauci testified in front of the coronavirus committee. Fauci admits social distancing has no basis. Wuhan lab leak hypothesis is not conspiracy theory. Although I kind of disagree with this headline. This headline's from InfoWars. But let's be clear. 
the Wuhan lab leak hypothesis was very much a conspiracy. Like by definition, we, ha- we know beyond any doubt by the admissions of the people involved, this was a conspiracy. They conspired. They worked together in a group secretly. They took steps to hide their cooperation, took steps to hide their participation in this conspiracy, and then afterwards took steps to conceal the existence of the conspiracy and the actions that it took that led us to this point. The Wuhan lab leak was a conspiracy, not a theory, a conspiracy. We showed how when requesting funds from DARPA, EcoHealth Alliance has emails where they're discussing with their Chinese partners saying, we're going to leave your name off of it because if they, if they knew that the Chinese were running this, DARPA might not give us funds. So that's fraud. That's a conspiracy. It's like if I break into your house and steal money from you and you find out. And I go, well, I only stole money from it because I knew if I asked, you would say no. I knew if I asked you for money, you wouldn't give it to me. So I, I had to go take it instead. It's like that's not, a, that's not an excuse, right? So they're saying, well, we, we hid that it was a Chinese project because we knew if we told you it was, you wouldn't have given us money. Okay, that's fraud. That's conspiracy. No, the Wuhan lab leak, it was a theory. It was a conspiracy theory. It's been confirmed now. So the Wuhan lab leak was a theory, or was a conspiracy, rather. And did anybody think social distancing ever had a basis at all? It's ridiculous on the face of it. It's It's absurd. And it was absurd the first time I heard it. We'll be back to this on the other side. We'll talk about the Iowa caucuses, and we'll show you some videos. Stay with us. Sleepless nights seem to be a lot more common these days with everything that's going on both at home and the world at large. If you're having trouble getting to that deep sleep we could all use more of, our new sleep support formula, Down and Out, is just the thing. It's our new, faster-absorbing liquid formula that is specifically designed to help you get the shut-eye you deserve. Formulated to improve upon our best-selling product, Knockout, with Down and Out, now the herbs and melatonin packed inside are extracted directly into the glycerin solution. So the ingredients are already dissolved into the formula before you even take it. One of the other sleep support herbs included is the passion flower, which was traditionally used by Native Americans like the Cherokees, who used it for its relaxing qualities. Be sure to take this product when you are completely ready for sleep, because you will be down and out. Selling out now at InfoWarsStore.com. InfoWars.com is tomorrow's news today. You're watching The American Journal with your host, Harrison Smith. Watch live right now at band.video. All right, welcome back, folks. This is The American Journal. The second of our commercial-free info chunks. No, there's got to be a better word than that. Radio segments. That sounds better. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, we're moving into a a new format with almost less than half 
of the commercial time than usual. So if you appreciate that, please don't make us regret it by going to uh, going to InfoWarsStore.com and uh, purchasing a product. Because, again, if it turns out that not showing commercials means no one's going to InfoWars Store, meaning we're not getting revenue, meaning we can't stay on air, then we're going to have to go back to the old format. So that's a threat, folks. <laughs> I'm going to blackmail you with commercial breaks. But seriously, that's just the way that capitalism works. So again, Fauci admits social distancing has no basis. Now, we, we knew this from the beginning. In fact, this, the six-foot rule might be one of the best examples of how decisions are made in complete contradiction to scientific reality, but entirely focused on and dialed in to psychological pressure. We've covered this story before. Fauci admitted it behind closed door testimony or during closed door testimony to the coronavirus committee. But we knew a long time ago that the six foot rule had nothing to do with science, had nothing to do with virology, had nothing to do with reality and the way that germs actually spread. Again, this was obvious from the very beginning, right? And the we should pull in the uh, pitch meeting skit because I that, that was published in when did I first publish that? I think it was early 2021. I don't think it was quite in 2020, but like it was always laughable. It was always laughable. The plexiglass boards were always ridiculous. The masks were always unscientific, but the six-foot rule in particular, they admitted. They said – first of all, they claimed that they had gotten the idea from some like middle school girl science project. That was a story that was going around for a while. But it came out, and they admitted that the six-foot rule was chosen particularly for its psychological impact. They said, we thought about 12-foot, but that's unsustainable. You can't have 12 feet between people all the time. It's just too much. People just will ignore it at that point. You say it's a 12-foot rule, you know, people will just go, well, that's, that's impossible. So 12, 12 foot's too much. If they said three feet, then people will think, how can three feet really matter? I mean, three feet's like the width of this desk. There's no way that that's going to make a, a, a big impact. So like, then it would be obvious that this was show. So they chose six feet. They say, I'm not the one saying this, by their own admission, six feet was a psychological medium that people would accept, but would have no remote impact on the viral transmission whatsoever. But it wasn't chosen because it would halt the spread of the virus. It was chosen for psychological impact. That's how they made the choice. What will people put up with? Let's do that. That was the only thing that they and, – and this is one of the things that if at the time, just like masks, just like lockdown, just like everything else, if you said the six-foot rule sounds ridiculous, the six-foot rule makes no sense, why are there dots on the floor that you're making me stand on? Why is there a sign in every window saying, remember the six-foot rule, keep your distance? This is stupid. This makes no sense. If you said that – during the height of coronavirus, I mean, you'd be fired. People would mock you, right? 
Just do it. Just stay six feet away. Is that so hard? It's like, no, but you don't get it. They're messing with you. They're screwing with you. Literally everything. Just everything like that. Like, I just don't even <laughs> I'll just be honest with you. I'll just be completely honest with you. Until last night, I didn't think that we were going to do a show today because it's Martin Luther King Day, and I thought we had off. So usually I, I do a lot of preparation the day before. I, I didn't do that. And then this morning, by the way, it's freezing, and there was ice covering my car, and I'm from Texas. I literally don't know how to deal with that. How do people deal with this? How do people deal with their cars being frozen all the time? So I was super late today. So I have, I have tons of stories from this weekend. Like I said, it's the Iowa caucus today. It's the, the World Economic Forum. So there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of news that's going to be coming out today that hasn't yet as we get returns from the Iowa caucus and as I'm sure – Videos will start coming out from what's going on on the ground in Davos as World Economic Forum meets. And it's not that it's not that I have a lack of preparation, so I, I don't have anything to to talk about. I have too much. My preparation has to do typically with whittling down the vast number of stories I have to what I think is actually important and what you know people need to hear about and what people are talking about versus what they're not talking about but should be. So I almost just want to go through these headlines just in a completely random way. I just don't, I don't like doing this because I like to have things sort of systematically thought out, like strategically planned out. I go first, look over this and I'll explain how this relates to this, but let's just do a scattershot thing here. All right. Let's just look at some headlines and hopefully we can leave you just the, the impression that I feel being hyper tuned into what's going on in the world, especially compared to the average American. And I, I'm not saying that as like superiority, like we know so much more than the average American, but at a certain point, when you see these headlines, when you realize that it's not just, there's a lie here, or there, it's like, well, we don't quite know the truth about this, or maybe this is being portrayed the wrong way. But when you realize how universal how ubiquitous deception is and that it's so overwhelming. And this may be part of the strategy that like, like I can't have a conversation with a regular person. I just can't, I can't do it. Everything they believe is, is wrong. Everything they believe is not just wrong. It's the inverse of what's true. And it's like, I feel bad for them. And especially if they're my friend, I like don't want to humiliate them. So it's I can't talk to them. And this happens with a lot of topics. It's like like Israel's a good example because the the amount of misinformation about the conflict in Gaza is so overwhelming. And, and I was just recently having a very intense and in-depth conversation about it i was trying to be very diplomatic i was trying to be very thoughtful about how i presented the information to the person but in reality what they think happened on october 7th is complete bs complete nonsense the reality about october 7th is that about 600 Israeli civilians were killed, and the majority of those were killed by Israel. I would honestly hazard 
that less than 500 Israelis were killed still, still could be a very large number. That's, I mean, that's a lot of people. I mean, it's like an afternoon in Gaza, right? So, I mean, it's not that, comparatively, it's actually not that many people. I tend to value human lives equally, unlike most people in this conflict, but everything they think they know about October 7th, utter hogwash. The buildup to October 7th, they're completely misinformed on. The entire history of Palestine and Israel and how the conflict started and why it started and who started it and who's been the victim and who's been the oppressor. Like everything they believe is wrong up to October 7th. Everything they believe about October 7th is completely wrong. Following October 7th, everything they've been told is a ridiculous lie. So like how do you even talk to somebody about a conflict where – my interpretation of it is the real interpretation because I have to get up in front of a camera and talk about this, and then I open up the phone line, so I don't want to look like an idiot, so I have to actually know what I'm talking about, and I also research it from a non-biased, completely independent perspective, not having a conclusion as to whose side I'm on before we figure out what the result is. So my perception of it is that you've got this colonial project called Israel consisting primarily of Eastern European communists that founded it supported by the British mandate system, which they manipulated with their terrorist organizations, those terrorist organizations, the Ergun's, the, the Stern gang, all these literal terrorist organizations, bombing civilians, committing false flags, starting wars, actually became the Mossad, became Shin Bet, same people, no military authority. So you've got a colonial project in the Middle East that forcibly displaces the um, natives of that area. For 70 years, it's a continuous sort of slow burn of attacks against the you know, native people of Palestine continuously and until recently, you know, that, that trend has continued and it's been brutal. It's been absolutely brutal where you've got thousands of Palestinians, women, children in jail without charges in Israel, some of them tortured, some of them raped, some of them killed, thousands of them. You've got Story after story, whether it's in Gaza or the West Bank, where you just have a campaign of continuous, relentless terror that talks about Israel and Gaza. The very beginning of the article, it will remind you this is all in response to the horrible, deadly terrorist attack of October 7th, where over 1,400 Israels were murdered by Hamas. Then you go, okay. 1,400 Israels murdered by Hamas. That makes them all sound like civilians. Well, the vast majority were actually, uh, what's that? Israelis. Did I, would I say something else? I don't understand. So you've got the, the original claim, 1,400 Israelis killed, murdered. But then you learn that like half of them were military. That's different than being murdered. That's a, combatant death in a war and then you learn 
that it was the Israeli military that killed huge numbers, including eyewitness testimony from Israelis, like the woman who was a hostage in the kibbutz. I was like, yeah, it was me and a dozen hostages, and the Israeli government came in and killed them all. The Israeli army came in and killed them all. There's story after story about this. And then some of the hostages were taken back to Gaza, a couple hundred of them, and by all accounts have been treated as well as any prisoner of war should ever expect to be treated, certainly significantly better than any Palestinian prisoner is treated in Israel. As we've learned throughout all this, that Israel deploys things like rape against their Palestinian prisoners in a a deliberate psychological operation. And so you've got this attack, and it was bad, and it targeted innocent people. And certainly some, some children died. Now, whether they were killed by Israel or not, it's hard to say. This was a military attack on military targets with, a, with the purpose of getting prisoners in order to do a prisoner exchange because of the thousands and thousands of illegal prisoners that Israel's holding. And then in response to a couple hundred dead civilians who they themselves may have killed, Israel launches a genocidal campaign of land acquisition in order to annex Gaza, as was obvious from the very beginning, and now there's more information coming out about that. And that's a very different story than Hamas killed 14,000 innocent Israeli citizens, that they beheaded 40 babies, that they were, were running rape gangs, while they were in the middle of this attack, that they targeted the music festival on purpose and slaughtered everyone there, which they didn't. And by the way, the Israeli government knew this attack was coming and then purposefully moved the, media, uh, the music festival just days before it started to be not only significantly closer to Gaza, more in danger, but in between two military bases that are put into harm's way by the Israeli military despite knowing the attack was imminent. And then the Apache helicopter showed up and killed them all. So again, when you look at this, and and Scott Adams would always say, you know, we're watching the same screen, but we're seeing two different movies. And that's a little bit of what's going on here. But it's more like you've got two guys watching a movie in a theater, and then they come out, and one of them does his best to describe to you what he remembers about the movie even though it's imperfect and he might get some things wrong and he might have forgotten a couple scenes or missed something when he went to the bathroom, but he's generally got it correct versus uh, the other guy who comes out of the theater and just lies to you about everything in the movie. It's not that we're seeing the same thing and coming to two different results. It's that the vast majority of Americans are relying on that second guy who's lying about everything, everything, everything. So again, all this is to say, I don't even know how you even broach these subjects with people, especially when it's also deeply interconnected. And if people aren't willing to accept a lot of the the story that we tell, then they won't accept any of it. And if they won't accept any of it, then they have to, like all they have to rely on are the statements made by the liars that are very good at 
concealing the reality of, of what's going on. So again, this is just, it's just like, I don't, I honestly, I don't, I just don't know. I just don't know what to do. Okay. So let's just go through some of these stories. ERCOT issues conservation appeal for Texans as polar vortex to spark record-breaking demand. Year after year, we have cold snaps, and the Texas grid can't handle it. How can we not handle it? How can America in 2023, how can America in the 21st century not have infrastructure that can handle cold. Like, what are you talking about? How is this possible? It's possible because for the last 50 or 60 years, our priority has been anything but the safety, comfort, and continued existence of our own citizenry. I don't know. I never hear about China having infrastructure failure like this. They tend to invest money in things that serve their citizens. We've spent God only knows how many billions of dollars on illegal immigrants, but we can't guarantee that our electric system can survive a snowstorm. Americans are going to be freezing to death. And this is what I mean. Like if you are stupid, you might think this has something to do with global warming You might think this has to do with greedy oil companies. You might think this has to do with the need to get to sustainable energy. Stop it. Stop it. Just stop. We don't need you. We don't need you adding this conversation. This is about a couple things. And, And almost all of this is about the deliberate destruction of America through any means necessary, through covert means, and through forcing what they want on the American people. So they don't want Amer- they don't want Texas on an independent electric grid. So what they want is for our electric grid to fail. So they can say, look, your electric grid is failing. You need to join in with the American electric grid. They don't want us to have really they don't want us to have energy at all. They don't want us to have nuclear energy. They don't want us relying on things like solar panels and wind farms which continuously fail to do what they're supposed to do. It would not be difficult to reinforce our grid and to keep it all safe and online. They're just choosing not to do it. It would be extremely simple to stop the illegal immigration. They're just choosing not to do it. It would be extremely easy to get peace in Ukraine. They're choosing not to do it. It would be extremely easy to stop the conflict in the Middle East. It continues to spiral out of control. They're choosing not to do that. It would be easy to not have planes falling out of the sky. They're choosing diversity instead. These are all choices being made by people on purpose. And if you don't get that, if you aren't prepared to accept that reality, how can you understand anything that's going on in the world right now? How can you possibly look around and see how just that we're in a state of collapse? We're in utter sustained, continuous, slow burn collapse. And I don't know how, I mean, people either don't notice 
or can't wrap their mind around why this is happening. And so it's just going to keep happening. You have to notice something before you can prevent or reverse it. And maybe, I mean, honestly, it might just be football. It might, it might all be. But, it, you know, I say that, but then it's not. Because, again, I'm thinking about, well, I, I mean, it's, it's any social gathering. I just don't follow football, college or, or anything else. And so it's like when I'm around a big group of people and they talk so much about football. And then I look over, you know, during a wedding ceremony and the dude next to me is checking scores on his phone. And then every speech that's given has some reference to some big game that I don't even know was happening. And then, you know, all these people, if you try to bring up globalism, you talk about, if I, if I were to sit down at a table and go, you guys know, it's like a cabal of billionaires that's meeting right now in a castle in Switzerland who's in their entire purpose for existence is to try to fold us into a global world government that's unelected. So we'll all be slaves of some masterless system. By like you can just imagine the fluoride stares. I would get back the dead eyed look. And there's just, you know, it's just this, this permeating stillness. Then you go, who here likes the Buckeyes? And they're all like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the energy is just like overwhelming. And it's like, okay, one is the existence of your nation and your race and your religion. And you're just like scared to even mention it. But then football, it's like, there's the energy. That's what, and it's just like, all right. They really, it's bread and circuses and it's collapse of Rome. Finally, after close to a year in early November, where I'm cutting this ad, we finally got one of our flagship products back in stock, Ultra 12, the highest quality vitamin B12 organic. You take it out of the tongue so you get better absorption of the body through your blood vessels and what it does to every system in your body is simply incredible. It's the natural, clean energy, focus, immune system, everything. And it's 40% off exclusively at InfoWarsStore.com. This has been rated as the best B12 in the country. It's available from a top lab that we private label it through at InfoWarsStore.com. Ultra 12, vitamin B12, taken sublingually, now back in stock at InfoWarsStore.com. Or you can call toll-free and order it as well, 888-253-3139. And Ultra 12 funds the InfoWar as well. and minds of the American people. It's the American Journal with your host, Harrison Smith. Dennis Rancourt has a PhD in physics. He is a former tenured full professor and has published over 100 articles in leading science journals. Rancourt and his team have used all-cause mortality data to prove there have been about 17 million deaths as a result of official COVID-19 measures. 
but not from COVID, which was a lie. As far as I can tell from all-cause mortality uh, data that we've been studying extensively for a long time, there's no such thing as a viral respiratory pandemic. He explains all this in his essay entitled, There Was No Pandemic, which you can find on his substack. There was no pandemic, in the sense that there was not a particularly virulent new pathogen that was spreading and causing death. That is not what happened. What happened was huge assaults against vulnerable people by many different methods. And every time you did that, you caused excess mortality. In all the countries where they were not doing that, there was absolutely no excess mortality, even if it was a jurisdiction that was right beside the one that was doing this. Rancourt explains a science of psychological murder that has been officially studied and documented for well over a century. It wasn't just the spike protein that killed us. It was the whole damn thing. Psychological stress and social isolation are dominant determinants of an individual's health. That causes uh, a suppression of your immune system, and you're going to get some kind of infection, cancer, heart disease, and very often the lungs are very exposed to the environments and they're subjected to all the bacteria that you live with all the time, you get bacterial pneumonia. And it's a huge killer when a society um, is stressed, meaning all of its individuals are stressed. The kind of psychological stress that kills you is when your entire world is turned upside down. Your whole life you thought you had a place in the world and it's gone. That will kill you within a very short time. We always occupy a dominance hierarchy, a social dominance hierarchy. That is how we organize our societies because we are social animals. It is a fundamental truth of how we organize societies. The stress that is intended to keep you in your place within that dominance hierarchy is an everyday chronic stress. And the stressors have to keep changing how they're going to stress you because you get habituated to the stress. So they have to randomly hit you with hard things every once in a while to really make sure you understand what your place is. That stress is one of the biggest determinants of health. But we have to admit that medicine itself is a massive killer. It's a massive cause of premature death of individuals. Modern Western medicine is officially recognized as the third highest cause of death. It was designed to be a way of controlling the population. The role of medicine as an institution in our society is to maintain the dominance hierarchy, is to keep people sick and to put them in their place. It's just part of that institutionally. Financed by the Carnegie Foundation and published in 1910, the Flexner Report was used to outlaw natural medicine practices in America. The Rockefeller Foundation then funded a new kind of medicine, an inverted form of healthcare that utilized petrochemical drugs and experimental surgery to keep people sick and, in many cases, kill the patient. As Dennis Rancourt has pointed out, this is how societies have been run for centuries. A declassified document entitled, Geomagnetic Factors in Spontaneous, Subjective, Telepathic, Precognitive, and Postmortem Experiences, as well as Decades of Trauma-Based Mind Control Research, shows us that the CIA and our governments are well aware of the deadly effects that traumatizing a population can induce. They are killing us with fear and trauma. This is known as psychogenic death or psychosomatic death. 
It is the phenomenon of sudden death brought about by strong emotional shock. Chairman of the Department of Physiology at Harvard Medical School, Walter Cannon. You're watching The American Journal with your host, Harrison Smith. Watch live right now at band.video. We took a little trip along with Colonel Jackson down to mighty Mississippi. We took a little bacon and we Welcome took back, ladies and gentlemen. Second hour of the American Journal is on. I'm going to go ahead and give out the phone number. Take your call throughout the rest of the show today. The number to dial is 1-877-789-2539. 1-877-789-2539. Let's take a look now at... Their plans for 2024 and their attempts to stop Donald Trump. InfoWars has the story, and actually Alex Jones did a very powerful tweet about this yesterday. Of course, you can follow us once again on Twitter at InfoWars and at Real Alex Jones. Uh, and this was about the uh, – well, the story from InfoWars. Story from InfoWars is Democrats and Deep State preparing to remove president's control of military if Trump elected. Democrat lawmakers, advocacy groups, and former government officials are quietly devising, devising plans to stop former president Donald Trump from asserting control of the military if elected president again in November, according to a report. They actually admitted this. It's a new uh, NBC News article. Titled, Fears Grow That Trump Will Use the Military, quote, in dictatorial ways if he returns to the White House, details how a, quote, loose-knit network of public interest groups and lawmakers are preparing to foil any efforts for Trump to use the military to carry out his political agenda if he becomes commander-in-chief once again. The report acknowledged that despite the fact that Trump will have vast powers as commander-in-chief bestowed by the Constitution and the American people, these groups are nonetheless working to subvert his ability to lawful order the military, lawfully order the military to carry out his agenda. America's commander-in-chief has vast powers at his disposal, some well-known, others not so much. Some lawmakers and pro-democracy advocates were the pro-democracy advocates. The pro-democracy advocates are organizing to disrupt, subvert, and undo the outcome of an election, just so we're clear. The pro-democracy advocates worry there may be nothing stopping a president from mobilizing the military to intervene in elections, police, uh, police American streets, or quash domestic protests, NBC News reported. You know, again, it's just one of these stories where it's like the fact that we're at a point where this type of article can be written, it just makes me blackpilled. I mean, what are we supposed to do about this? They're announcing their treason. That's all that's happening here. They're saying if Trump gets elected, it doesn't matter because we're in control of the military. You really have to ask yourself, what is it that the elected government even does at this point? They're not the ones making the decision, and they, they brag about this, right? You remember, you remember last year, or last uh, election, rather, they bragged about this after the fact. After they stole the election, they wrote articles in Time magazine, which is owned by Mark Benioff, who's the second-in-command under Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum, right? They control media outlets from Davos as well, so 
this, glo- this globalist outlet brags about the fact that they spent billions of dollars to undermine the electoral system to impose unconstitutional, unapproved, illegally implemented mail-in ballot systems, the secret history of the shadow campaign that saved the 2020 election. So they brag about the fact that they stole the election. They do it right out in the open. They celebrate it. That was bad enough. Now they're literally advertising that they've taken over the military and will refuse to follow the lawful orders of the commander-in-chief. So what is this? This is just the coming out party of the empire? This is just them announcing once and for all, you're welcome to vote. It won't change how things are going. They're just shedding that illusion once and for all because it's just – it's annoying to them, I imagine, to have to rig elections. They'd rather just do things by fiat. But, I mean, Time Magazine even sort of celebrates this. This is their headline of their uh, January issue. The envoy, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, in the test of American leadership, because everybody recognizes that Joe Biden is not in charge. Everybody gets that Joe Biden is not the one making decisions at this point. So I don't believe that Joe Biden was elected in the first place. I think it's beyond any reasonable doubt that that election was stolen uh, right out in the open, and they bragged about it. But let's just take that as an assumption. Let's assume that Joe Biden actually won the election. Let's we'll just take that as, a, as, a, as the groundwork to operate from. Nobody voted for Anthony Blinken. Anthony Blinken never had to debate, never had to campaign. And Anthony Blinken, by the way, has been Joe Biden's handler for the last like 20 years. So, like we have the system in America where you've got like the face who's just sort of a cutout, sort of a puppet. He doesn't really believe anything. He doesn't really control anything. But he's the face, and you, you might – like it might as well be a cartoon. You might as well have like a cartoon figure up there, and people debate about him, and he answers questions, and you can – you know, people vent their ire on him. Meanwhile, just behind him in the shadow is the real power, and it's almost like a – it's almost like Joe Biden is Anthony Blinken's Pokemon. That's sort of what it is. There's the there's – the, There's the Pokemon master, right, and that's Anthony Blinken, and Joe Biden's like his little Pikachu that runs around and does all the fighting for him. So throughout his Senate career, Joe Biden's out there making speeches, Joe Biden's campaigning throughout the vice presidency, Joe Biden is acting in that position. But meanwhile, the entire time, his policies are being decided by, his actions are being dictated by, his daily schedule is being given to him by Anthony Blinken since he was a senator, since like the 80s. Guys, look it up. When when was Anthony Blinken, when did he first catch Joe Biden with a Pokeball? When did he first start working for Joe Biden? Because it's been decades that this idea of Joe Biden has just been a smokescreen for Anthony Blinken to operate in the background. So this isn't democracy. I never voted for Anthony Blinken. Nobody voted for Anthony Blinken. Nobody voted for Victoria Nuland. Nobody voted for Lloyd Austin. 
Nobody voted for any of these people. Theoretically, the Senate and the Congress approved them. So you say, well, but they were approved by people you did vote for. But it, when it's a rubber stamp, that actually doesn't have an effect. That actually doesn't matter. So again, even just the, just the title of this article, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken and the Test of American Leadership. What does leadership even mean in that sentence? He's not a leader. He's never led anything. I've never seen him give a speech to a crowd of citizens. I've never seen him take questions from the press. I've never seen him in front of Congress or in front of the Senate. Who is he leading? What is he leading? How is he a leader? How is Anthony Blinken a part of the leadership? He's just part of the control apparatus. He's part of the bureaucratic deep state that actually runs things. So uh, what does what D.C. – like what do they even do? What does Congress do anymore? Nobody asked Congress if we should go to war in Yemen. They did that while the Secretary of State was incapacitated and out of commission. So who, who gave that order? 2008 was when Blinken captured Joe Biden with a Pokeball. Yeah, so 15 years, 15 years. For 15 years, he's been Joe Biden's number one aide, meaning he does everything. The envoy, the test of American leadership. There's no American leadership. It doesn't exist. It's, uh, it's an illusion. It's a fraud. You really can't. You almost, I mean, Time Magazine, we really should just go through this magazine like piece by piece. Again, it's, it's owned by Mark Benioff, owner of Salesforce, second in command of Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum. And just the contents of this, right? The food choices we make say a lot about the world we now inhabit. Nikki Haley's ascent. How she positioned herself as the best bet for Republicans exhausted with Donald Trump. The showman, Volodymyr Zelensky's roots from tough Ukrainian steel town to the post-Soviet entertainment industry. Ideas of the year. Insights to drive progress in 2024, including profiles of U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken and the EU's Robert Metzola. So it's just like you can get what they want you to believe. It's very simple. They want you to vote for Nikki Haley. They want you to hate and fear Trump. They want you to love and admire Volodymyr Zelensky, the actor-turned-president-turned-dictator who has killed an entire generation of young men in his country, who's lost a war, and is now completely, wholly, and in total owned by BlackRock and Goldman Sachs. By the way, that's a video I had from... uh, Last week, I'll go in and find where Ukrainian is actually talking about the amount of debt that Ukraine is accruing as this uh, war continues. And, of course, that goes into the statements made by things like BlackRock where they're like – and Goldman Sachs where they're like, we have a rebuilding plan. As soon as this war's over, we're going to come in and uh, turn Ukraine into a prosperous first world nation. Just like so, they're just they're just again. I mean, it's 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 all just such nonsense. It's all so utterly and completely insane. So I do. I just want to. I just want to jump through this like schizophrenically. Okay, maybe just give you an idea of what uh, 
of what it's like to know all this stuff all at once. Department of Homeland Security files emergency motion to stop Texas from securing border. Russia and, of course, billions upon billions upon billions of dollars to support the invasion at the southern border. So, you know, again, it's not the fact that we can't have an electric grid that functions. It's that other things are more important to the people who have all of our money, by the way. It's just another infuriating thing on top of this that everything that I'm talking about is being funded completely by our tax dollars. And they just take thousands of dollars out of your paycheck and there's nothing you can do about it. What about this? FAA's diversity push includes focus on hiring people with severe intellectual and psychiatric disabilities. Federal Aviation Administration is actively recruiting workers who suffer severe intellectual disabilities psychiatric problems, and other mental and physical conditions under a diversity and inclusion hiring initiative spelled out on the agency's website. Quote, targeted disabilities are those disabilities that the federal government, as a matter of policy, has identified with a special emphasis in recruiting and hiring, the FAA's website states. They include hearing, vision, missing extremities, partial paralysis, complete paralysis, epilepsy, severe intellectual disability, psychiatric disability, and dwarfism. The initiative is part of FAA's diversity and inclusion hiring plan, which claims diversity is an integral to achieving FAA's mission of ensuring safe and efficient travel across our nation and beyond. I wouldn't even write this in a comedy. It wouldn't even be funny. It's too unbelievable. We are, ins- we are dedicated to ensuring that air travel in this country is safe, uninterrupted, and efficient. So we're hiring retarded and insane people to make that happen. Okay. And then, of course, in addition to that, you've got these types of stories from the New York Post. Why airplane crashes are now safer than ever. So they're not saying that crashes are rarer than ever. They're not saying that planes are safer than ever. They're saying that plane crashes are safer than ever. What? Period. What? <laughs> what are you talking? What? The collision between a pair of uh, airplanes on a runway at Japan's Haneda Air- International Airport last week has been hailed as nothing short of a miracle. The crash captured the world's attention as it was shared across social media, but the real headline was how few fatalities were f- resorted from a very well could have been a tragedy of spectacular proportions. Just five crew members of the Coast Guard prop plane perished. So they're actually portraying this. They're pitching this as a good thing. It's like, sure, airplanes are going to start crashing a lot more now. But what, five, ten people die? That's what a miracle that is. Incredible. And, of course, a lot of people are speculating now. I saw saw this all all over Twitter, and I think there's something to this. Although, you know, it's also just a matter of everything. The diversity, the immigration program, the corporate greed that has Boeing. You know, Boeing outsourced it's the code for the max 737 you know the plane that fell out of the sky in africa the plane whose door flew off in the middle of a flight from alaska the plane where they were like you can fly just don't go any don't go over any big big bodies of water because you might have to land this baby at any moment right that's like that's the level of safety that air travel is dealing with now i don't think they announced that to the people in the plane uh, this is your uh, captain speaking. Should have a pretty safe flight uh, looking at uh, a minor turbulence about uh, midway through. And uh, also, we're not going to pass over any water because uh, 
<laughs> this thing might fall apart in midair. So uh, we're going to want to land if that happens. So uh, enjoy your flight. But that's the reality. That's literally that's the decision that they made. Okay. And a lot of people are speculating that this is deliberately designed to prevent, like, to stop people from flying on their own accord. Because obviously they want to stop people from flying. Not only do they not want people flying, they're getting cities and mayors and national governments and corporations to sign compacts to forcibly reduce the number of times people fly. As we've reported many times with the C-40 program, which stands for 40 cities, it's 40 cities that have signed on to enforce this climate change agenda. And now those cities are following through with their commitments to do things like serve bugs in school cafeterias. So there's that. And one of the things in C40 where they lay out their plan for humanity, where you won't just be able to go wherever you want and do whatever you want and buy whatever you want. You'll actually have limitations set on you. It's like you get to buy two sets of clothes a year. From Telegraph, the climate change proposal, which means you'll never see the Mediterranean again. A report by a global think tank has suggested that people should take just one short haul flight every three years by 2030. But that's a dishonest way of portraying it, isn't it? A report by a global think tank, which suggests people should take just one short haul flight. No, this wasn't a think tank. This is a globalist organization who's enforcing these things they're not suggesting people should take just one short-haul flight they are deliberately causing the conditions by which any more flights are impossible for the average person and we've covered the c40 uh forum before so i you know i don't know how you um i don't know how you don't know about this i mean they literally laid out for you they say in their own documents they're like right now people travel people fly on average about five times a year five round half you know short flights and we're going to get that down to one round trip flight every three years we're going to do that and there's going to do that they're going to make you eat bugs because it's going to be the only thing on the shelf You don't think they have the ability to do this? Have you tried buying raw milk at the store recently? Like not, I don't know. I just don't even. I guess people are fine with this. I don't know. I guess they, they think these people who are just shown by example time and time again to be the most dishonest people in the world who lie openly, deliberately in your face – they get exposed constantly. Their lies are so abjectly ridiculous. Like when Mayorkas gets up and says the border is secure. You just play idiocracy for the rest of the show. Because that, that really is what it feels like. It just feels like, like everyone is insane. Like everyone is completely out of their minds and completely disconnected with reality, utterly, completely divorced from anything that's real or actually happening. 
By the way, I have a genocide update. Uh, day 100. So it's been 100 days since Israel launched its genocidal campaign to annex Gaza, as we reported from the very beginning. Obviously, that's the point. The numbers we have now are uh, 24,000 people have been killed. 61,000 have been injured. 1.9 million are homeless and displaced. 117 journalists have been killed. 148 UN staff dead. As if that's not outrageous enough, Israel wants the rest of the world to now clean up this mess and pay for it. And they want you to take in the Gazans that they are displacing. And of course, we started a war in Yemen to ensure that this continues. People support this. People in Texas beat up Palestinian protesters at a Greg Abbott speech so that this can continue. 24,000 people dead, 10,000 of which are children. 29 years on air, all I've wanted to do was warn the people about the globalist. And I've done the best job I can to tell the truth and been accurate, and we are on record as the most accurate there are. And I've tried to sell products to fund ourselves. Unlike other communist revolutionaries that rob banks and kidnap people, we don't do that. We try to bring you products that really work. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm scared of this product. It's so powerful. This is the breakdown product after your cells process it of folic acid, methyl folate with high quality organic B complex. This stuff is rocket fuel. It's not a stimulant. It energizes your cells and then everything else you take just supercharges it. It's so insane. It's foundational energy. The strongest formula out there at InfoWarsStore.com. It doesn't just energize this operation against the tyrants. It energizes you. Get foundational energy now. InfoWars.com is tomorrow's news today. You're watching The American Journal with your host, Harrison Smith. Watch live right now at band.video. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We'll go out to your phone calls here momentarily. We do have some videos out of Davos, as is the first day of the World Economic Forum meeting there in Switzerland. Let's learn what's on the top of their agenda, shall we? We'll go first to clip number nine. Davos 2024, three key topics for leaders at the World Economic Forum. White Alpine Mountains, billionaires, and the global elite. It can only be Davos the tiny ski resort in Switzerland, home to the annual meeting of the World Economic Forum. Here are three key topics high on the agenda. Number one, a dovish pivot. Despite all the talk of higher for longer, sticky inflation and robust labor markets, investors are now pricing in aggressive rate cuts by key central banks this year. Following the cost of living crisis and the unprecedented cycle of global monetary tightening, reduced borrowing costs cannot come soon enough for debt-strapped companies and governments. And the next crucial question is whether policymakers can make the pivot to avoid a hard economic landing. Two, rising geopolitical pressure. World leaders were already grappling with the Russian invasion of Ukraine, launched by Putin's forces nearly two years ago. The much-anticipated counteroffensive by Kyiv hasn't quite gone to plan, and foreign support and military aid is not flowing as freely. 
there's now also a second conflict on the global stage between Israel and Hamas. The humanitarian cost has been immense, and the war has the potential to spark wider tensions across the Middle East with ramifications for global trade. And three, just two letters, AI. Investors are obsessed with its potential to disrupt chunks of the economy, and it drove some of the biggest stock market gains last year. Pressure is now mounting on tech companies to deliver on some of the earnings hope. And in the hallways of power, security and ethical concerns remain. The EU struck a landmark agreement to regulate artificial intelligence, and it could set the tone for similar rules by governments across the globe. Of course, Davos draws a lot of criticism as being exclusive and out of touch with reality. But key politicians and industry titans continue to go in droves. And as long as they do, the buzz will remain along with the potential for meaningful change. Exclusive and out of touch with reality. Is that the, is that the criticisms that we have? I think the criticisms that I have are that everything these people do, everything these people claim to be combating are their own creation. I don't have a problem with how exclusive it is. I have a problem that it's exclusively evil retards. I don't, I, I don't have a problem with the concept of aristocracy, the concept of an elite who've proven themselves to get to the top. Th- their eliteness isn't the issue. Them being out of touch of reality with reality is debatable. I, I think they're extremely in touch with reality, actually. I think they are sig- just way more in touch with reality than the average American. You've got three types of people. You've got the Davos people who get what's going on because they're the ones doing it because they're evil scumbags. Like You think the people at Davos are sitting there going in their own internal monologues. I mean, because they lie to each other, right? So I'm sure if you recorded them, they would stick to the talking points. But in their own mind, you think there's any confusion about why the West and America is being flooded by immigrants? I mean, they're the ones doing it, right? They're the ones funding it, these NGOs, the UN. It's all these people that are in Davos right now. They're like starting programs. They're paying, they're lobbying for law changes. They're organizing this, they're orchestrating this. Or like Christopher Wray last year at Davos, head of the FBI. You think he's out of touch with the reality that he's cooperating with big tech in order to censor dissident voices? He's bragging about it on stage. So the three types of people you have are the people that know what's going on because they're the ones doing it and they're evil liars. You think there's any illusion about Oh, all these poor refugees. Oh, they're climate refugees. They know exactly what they're doing. They're lying. They have policies to deliberately destroy the United States. So that's what they're doing. They're just doing that. So they know what's going on, and they love it because they're doing it. Then there's us on the opposite side of the spectrum who know what they're doing, despise it, loathe it, and are doing everything we can to fight against it. And then there's the vast majority of people in the middle who just have no idea what's going on. They just buy the lies completely and sort of are either distracted or stupid enough to not see what's obviously right in front of their faces. 
So again, these people aren't out of touch with reality. They are, in most cases, and to most Americans, the dictators of reality. They determine what is reality because they control the media, because they control the policies, they control what people know. So how can they be out of touch with reality when reality is whatever they say it is? And again, these people don't – they aren't wizards. They aren't actually creating reality. But if they say all of these immigrants are refugees and then the media reports all of these immigrants are refugees and then everybody who's not paying attention and who just hears this you know, in the local news or whatever, their reality is, man, there's a lot of refugees at the southern border. America sure is doing a good job helping them. That's the reality. They've created that reality for people, and people live in that reality. It's unrecognizable, speaking from my position, in actual reality, but that's beside the point. Dovish pivot, they're trying to deal with the cost of living crisis. Cost of living crisis is, of course, directly, solely, completely consequence of their policies. Whether it was a lockdown, shutting down the supply chains – whether it was the Russian sanctions, cutting off energy, destroying industry in Western Europe, whether it was the bombing of the Nord Stream pipeline, further compounding the energy crisis in Europe, whether it's the cost of everyday products skyrocketing because of the shipping cost because we can't go through the Red Sea because Israel's genociding Gaza and the Western countries are helping them do that, whether it's the Cost of living in terms of buying houses or the rising cost of rent directly attributable to private equity buying the majority of houses last year, massively outbidding the individual buyers. Whether it's the inflation that continues to increase year over year, continues to be denied but continues to obviously and manifestly be making everything more expensive – because of the money that they printed. So, I, you know, it's just, it's just the same thing over and over. I don't know how many times you have to explain it before people understand it. They caused the cost of living crisis. Uh, they caused the cost of living, cr- living crisis. They come in to say, don't worry, we're going to save you from the cost of living crisis. Perhaps the most obvious example of this is the geopolitical situation. The examples they said, the war in Ukraine, the war in Gaza, and of course Russia winning the war in Ukraine and how that's a big issue. They started the war in Ukraine. They're the ones responsible for the ongoing conflict in Israel. So what, so what are they doing? I mean they're coming out they're, – they're, they're coming out – and saying all these major problems, don't worry, we're going to solve them. They're the ones doing. I mean, these are the arsonists standing there, going, "Don't worry, we'll fight the fire." It's like I see the gasoline can in your hand. I see the burnt match in your other hand. You were the ones that did this, and, and it's not like they're admitting that. It's not like you know. It's one thing if they go, "Look, we made the big mess, so it's our responsibility to clean this up." But they're going to tell you that it's Russia's fault, they, that they overthrew the 
Ukrainian government and installed a puppet. It's Israel's, or it's uh, rather Hamas's fault that Israel is genociding the people of Gaza. It's Trump's fault that they're taking over the military and performing a coup out in the open and bragging about it. And then finally, you know, the, the issue of AI, which again, they frame as like, it's a concern for investors. I, I, you know, obviously they, they feel very comfortable in the economic realm. I feel like if they can frame everything as a consequence of capitalism and a consequence of business interests, then they can get away with it. Do you really think their concern about AI is for profit? For how they can best invest money? AI is the most powerful control mechanism that humanity's ever created. That's why they're concerned about it. Like all this is so obvious. Last year during Davos, video we've played a million times, I've mentioned at least once a week, was Alex Karp of Palantir bragging that they'd single-handedly stopped the rise of the far right in Europe. I just can't, can't emphasize what a big deal this is. That these dudes, these random guys, nobody voted for, nobody elected, not appointed by God. They just happen to have the money. Are bragging about manipulating the political outcome of an entire continent through AI. Not saying they can do it, saying they did do it. Saying they did do this already. The Gotham program single-handedly stopped the rise of the far right in Europe. And as uh, Jeremy Clarkson notes, they're talking about how to control it completely. And of course we saw, and I did a whole three part report on it on the war room the way that OpenAI experienced a coup in which the head of OpenAI Sam Altman was according to his underlings and the, the people that worked there and the board of the company was basically evil like he was just evil like that's sort of what the letter said that was uh, public uh, in an open letter to the board basically somebody at, at OpenAI or a lot of employees at OpenAI saying this Sam Altman guy has ulterior motives. He is not doing what's just best for the world or best for humanity or best for our business even. He's doing evil things. He's using AI in the most irresponsible way ever. And the advancements that we're making make his irresponsibility an existential threat for humanity. Kind of a big deal. So they fire Sam Altman. Then there's a counter coup in which the board itself that fired Sam Altman is itself fired and it's replaced by Larry Summers, who has been one of these kingpin puppet master operatives who have had positions of power and used those positions of power to kill millions and start wars and do all sorts of evil things. So now he's in charge of OpenAI. And OpenAI's values uh, diversity above all else. So with that, let's go to your phone calls. We've got uh, Simon in Florida. I want to talk about a flurry of activity of Mideast ministers making new announcements. I did see a speech by Hassan Nasrallah, 
recently. What do you got for us, Simon? Hi there, Harrison, and uh, it's a pleasure to speak with you again. Um, there is an extraordinary amount going on, and I should just alert you and the audience that this is likely to be one of the busiest news weeks of the year. Okay, so you have to really praise yourself for the amount of news that's going to be occurring. But I appreciate that most of the audience is obviously at, uh, you know, prayer meetings and uh, um, memorial uh, occasions because of our um, public holiday today. But in the rest of the world, we've had the foreign minister of India go to Iran, and he has had meetings with the minister of transportation the foreign minister of Iran, the president of Iran, and uh, given the most extraordinary press conference, which also had a short uh, burst of uh, comments from the Iranian foreign minister. Now, that is available on press TV um, for the whole thing, which is just 11 and a half minutes long. I would strongly recommend people to watch that um, it will really give them an idea of what is going on, as the Indian Foreign Minister described, in West Asia. But in particular, he talked about the INSTC, which you and I have been talking about for all of the last year, the route from um, uh, basically Bombay to St. Petersburg via Iran. Right. But he also was explaining how... Um, they see that as a gateway for them to the whole of Central Asia. So um, he was reiterating the comments that have been made in the last week about the pivotal nature of Iran in terms of being the hub in the spoke of all of these routes now, basically going from that Saudi Arabia to China and India to Russia and all, all of this incredible shift in logistics routes, many of which are being devised to avoid all the maritime choke points. But we've had announced that the Indian Prime Minister has just spoken today with President Putin of Russia, talking about the plans for BRICS for 2024. And the Indian Foreign Minister in Tehran acknowledged with great pleasure how Iran is now a member of BRICS. And he's also a member of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization and all of their plans for 2024. And just yesterday, we had the Chinese foreign minister meeting in Egypt with both the president and the foreign minister there, also talking not only about the situation in Gaza, but also about BRICS and the Belt and Road Initiative and all of their plans for 2024. So we've got all of these countries, which are all now formal members of BRICS since the 1st of January, and they're all massively kicking off their agenda that President Putin explained in his New Year's address, not only for BRICS and the SDO, but also in terms of combining all the blocks together, reiterating for the sixth time for the Russians the importance of the greater Eurasian partnership. So once again, we have an extraordinary amount of events occurring. Obviously, the Indians were very concerned about uh, transport through the Red Sea and the Persian Gulf. But it, what was very noticeable is the Iranian foreign minister acknowledged that the Iranian government had received a message that President Biden had also mentioned over the weekend uh, in a private format. 
and he said that he had given his response Secretary Blinken in a very loud voice. And he said that he wanted to publicly reiterate three warnings to the American government. One, not to tie itself to the personal fate of Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu because he has so many domestic problems with all the criminal cases against him. And they said that his um, prime ministership is essentially expired. It wasn't like a personal threat. But it's just saying that, um, you know, his political situation there is very difficult. They um, warned America supposedly to not continue supporting the um, actions of the uh, Israeli military in Gaza. And they also warned them against uh, pursuing further attacks against Yemen, which is exactly what the Chinese foreign minister said in Egypt and what the Chinese ambassador to the United Nations reiterated when he explained that the resolution telling the Houthis to knock off attacking shipping did not include any authorization for the use of military force by any countries against Yemen. So it's a very, very, um, you know, significant events going on. And um, I'll discuss the uh, foreign minister of India trip to Tehran in um, extended detail on my show after InfoWars finishes for the day at Weaponized News at 7 p.m. New York time. And, of course, Weaponized News is on uh, is on Twitter and Rumble. Thank you very much uh, for the call, Simon. I want to emphasize something that you just uh, briefly mentioned, which is the Benjamin Netanyahu's domestic political situation. This article I covered on The War Room, but it, I think it's extremely important to understand. It's from Politico. It's called The U.S. is Dealing with an Israeli Leader Who's Losing Control. Benjamin Netanyahu is waging a war while struggling to avoid prison, salvage his legacy, and keep his political partners happy. So the Israeli leader is trying to stay in office and avoid, avoid prison on corruption charges, two linked desires that have long made him vulnerable to the demands of far-right members of his governing coalition. Now an Israeli Supreme Court ruling against his effort to overhaul the judiciary may make him even more susceptible. The far-right figures, notably uh, Bezalil uh, Smotrich and Itamar Ben-Gavir, harbor deep anti-Palestinian views and are resistant to U.S. proposals that they consider too friendly to Palestinians. If they abandon Netanyahu's coalition, he could lose his prime ministership, increasing his legal peril. That has made Netanyahu reluctant to take American advice on the war, and it suggests that U.S.-Israeli tensions will grow as Palestinians struggle to survive the Israel's uh, Israelis' bombardment of the Gaza Strip. So, in other words, if Benjamin Netanyahu does not do what the far-right members of his party want him to do, then they have the ability to very easily withdraw their support from him, causing his government to collapse, causing him to no longer be the prime minister, causing him to be exposed to massive legal troubles. So if he wants to stay out of prison and he wants to avoid ending his 16-year-long career as prime minister of Israel in absolute disgrace and dishonor, then he has to do what the members on the farthest to his right want, which is unambiguously the elimination of everyone in Gaza, whether that's death or expulsion, they really don't care. So if he doesn't do that, then they'll eject him from the prime ministership, then he'll go to jail. So to save his own hide, he's having to do whatever the far right wants. And then, of course, America is led like a dog by Israel, and we may be the superpower, but seem totally unwilling or unable to exert any influence of any 
tangible degree against Israel. Time and time again, we've sent Sullivan, we've sent Blinken, we've sent Lloyd Austin. Every time they announce before they go, we're going to demand a ceasefire. We're going to demand a two-state solution. Every time, there's absolutely no impact. In fact, the last time, and I showed this on, on multiple occasions, but the last time in particular, they go with the demand to minimize civilian casualties. They say, we're going to Israel and we're going to demand that Israel do more to kill less civilians. Then the very next day, literally the next day, it's the biggest attack Israel's ever launched, the most amount of dead in a single day. So they do the opposite of what we say. So in other words, America is controlled by Israel. Israel is controlled by Netanyahu. Netanyahu is controlled by the far-right members of his party. Therefore, the world is under the control of some Jewish supremacist extremist genociders. One of the most frustrating things about being awake to the globalist agenda is seeing the general public still asleep. By and large, not aware of the magnitude of the incredible danger they're under, but also the ongoing attacks and the magnitude of the death caused by the lethal injections masquerading as vaccines. It is so frustrating to see people going about their daily lives oblivious. And you realize ignorance is not bliss, it equals death. But people are starting to really understand how serious things are, and that's that's a hard thing to do because to wake up to a dystopic reality and realize that we're in the middle of a giant biological weapons war against humanity and that there's mass sterilization that's already taking place and they're cutting off all the major energy sources is really hard to deal with, but it's the reality. Facing it is our only chance to turn this around because stuff's about to get really, really nasty. Infowars.com.